you do have a Bible, you can have your, your thumb or your finger handy in Acts 1 and 2. We're going to kind of hover around Acts 1 and 2. Today we'll be in another other, another, uh, other passages this morning. Uh, if you were here the last few weeks, the last three weeks, we talked about who we are as a church, identifying the, the three key elements of, of what God has called us to be. And we talked about reconciliation, that we are ambassadors of reconciliation because God's master plan is to reconcile all things, all creation, all humanity back to him through Jesus. Then we talked about that, the process of that reconciliation is this thing called discipleship, is becoming like Jesus and God calls us to help people follow him which ultimately culminates in this beautiful thing called worship, which our life is no longer about us, it's about Him. So when we walk through that, and especially if you've been here for any amount of time, you've heard us talk about the, the direction of our church heading more and more towards mission locally, in our neighborhoods, in our city, and globally through places like Haiti, that as we continue on that journey to become more of what God calls us to be, you and I are coming to this realization that the task that God calls us to is absolutely impossible. Isn't that encouraging to know? You and I should go and make disciples of all nations, which is absolutely impossible. Therefore, you and I have to make sure that we embrace what Jesus calls us to embrace, who Jesus calls us to embrace, and that is his spirit. And so this morning and the next few weeks, we're going to walk through talking about the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? And specifically today, talking about his power in our lives. Now, before we get to the, the specifics of what we're going to tackle this morning, I want to kind of give some qualifiers because it's important to answer some questions that maybe kind of kick around in our minds when we think about the Holy Spirit. So in the, in the body of Christ, in, in the church in general, there are some differing views on how the Holy Spirit works in our lives today. We are a part of a four-square denomination, which is considered a Pentecostal or charismatic uh, denomination, which believes that God's power works through His Spirit today through gifts and through miraculous to accomplish His purpose. But when we, when we look at the greater picture of the body of Christ, there, is, there are sections of the body of Christ that don't necessarily believe that. There's kind of two big camps, and, I'm, and the reason I'm taking time to do this is because when I say the Holy Spirit or I say Pentecostalism, each one of us has a kind of a lens that we look through in terms of what we think that is. Some of us have grown up in that, so we understand, or we think it's a certain thing. Others of us have never experienced that, and we think that it's kind of crazy. And so we have all these kinds of things carrying around in our minds. But kind of the two major camps within the church is one would be called uh, a cessationist view, which is this belief that once the apostles passed away, that the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit, as was active in the book of Acts, no longer exists for today. Then there's the other side uh, of the coin, or the other kind of major grouping in the body of Christ, and that would be under what we call Pentecostal charismatic movement, which believes that God works the way he did 2,000 years ago. He still works that way today through his, the power through the Spirit to do the miraculous, to bring gifts to bear on people, to ultimately accomplish his purpose. Now, the reason I highlight that is for a couple of reasons. One of those is, it is not an issue that we divide over. This is important. Because in the church, we separate into camps according to our theological persuasion. And so many times, this is the dividing line. It's this division where, where it's like, okay, well, we don't believe that, so we don't hang out with you. Or we believe that, and in, especially as Pentecostals, sometimes there's a little bit of pride that comes along. And we kind of play the game like, we got the Spirit. Yes, we do. We got the Spirit. How about you? You know, remember that, that cheer in high school? But the Holy Spirit was never given to have, for us to have pride. It's His power through us. 
But I say that to say also that as I read through the scriptures, to me, there's nothing that seems to indicate that God would cease to work that way that he did 2,000 years ago. And I personally would never want to be in a camp that would argue for or really argue against the way God wants to work powerfully in the world today. God is God. God doesn't fit in our box. God goes way outside. He blows our box apart. We talked about this with worship last week. And I'm not going to say, God, you, can, you can't do this because you did it then, but you can't do it now. He can do anything he wants to do. He's God. But we have to see the bigger picture of why the Holy Spirit has come to empower us, how that, what that means for our lives. And I know that, that again, as we walk through this, there's some of us, our Pentecostal experience has such an uh, influence on us that, that sometimes it can be negative in that we have a certain description of Pentecostalism. And sometimes we have to be careful because our description of what it means to be Pentecostal has less to do with what we're going to talk about today and more to do with the extreme kind of, the more weird, the better, and, and, and we blame it all on the Holy Spirit. And if we're really Pentecostal, then every Sunday we should have five people speaking in tongues and show, someone should be waving flags and we should be swinging from the chandeliers. And that's Pentecostalism. No, that is an extreme experience in Pentecostalism that if you read through 1 Corinthians, Paul seems to have somewhat of a negative opinion of. He does. He says brings correction because there's balance and order. And the Holy Spirit ultimately comes and empowers us, not so that we can have Holy Spirit goosebumps on Sunday morning. It's so we can be empowered in our lives through the week. And that's what we'll focus on this morning because there is a, a more balanced approach. Now, it's not to throw the baby out of the bathwater. I've been in services where things get a little bit crazy, and I think sometimes that's our flesh getting in the way of the Spirit. We have to be careful that we don't throw the Spirit out with the extremes of Pentecostalism but realize that God has given us his spirit who lives in us. And so what I'd like to do is, be, before I'm going to look at uh, really why we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, but so you understand kind of biblically. So if, if someone is a cessationist who doesn't believe that God works that way today, does not mean that they don't have the Holy Spirit living in them. The Bible is pretty clear. When you come to Jesus, when you surrender your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is deposited in you. He is the deposit that guarantees your future and eternity with Jesus. He is present in you. But as you read through the scriptures, you realize that especially the apostles and you read through in Paul's writings, that there seems to be this, this, this second experience. It has, it's not salvation. Salvation's already taken care of. But there's something that happens that I think really the best way to describe it is that at the point of salvation, you get all of God. At the point of being filled with the Holy Spirit, God finally gets all of you. And you're fully surrendered to him. And now you're not filled with yourself anymore. You're now filled with his spirit to live out his purpose and his mission in the world. So understand that. doesn't mean that someone doesn't have the Holy Spirit. If somebody is saved and they know Jesus, the spirit lives in them. But the spirit has yet to be fully activated in their life as they walk through this process of surrender. So why do we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? The first reason is this. Because Jesus commissioned us, I said this earlier, to do the impossible. Now, I'm going to read from Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. We'll get to Acts 1 and 2 in a moment. But if you would, I know most of you, if you've been in church, you've heard this passage of Scripture before. Please erase your memory banks, just for a moment, okay? Listen to this passage. This is Jesus giving some of his final words of instruction to his disciples of what they're supposed to do. Just listen like this is the first time you've ever heard this. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Does that sound ridiculous? Let's just be honest. 
go into all the world, every people group, every language group, and make disciples, and do that by teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. Doesn't that sound like you and I can accomplish that before breakfast? Not even close. Not even close. Think about that. Reach the entire world with the truth of the gospel so much so that it transforms their souls and causes a disobedient person to be obedient. That is something a human being cannot do. Can't. And in my experience as a pastor, in my experience in ministry, I've come to this realization. There's only so much I can do in my humanity to make something happen in somebody's life. And what really needs to happen is always a supernatural thing. It's not a natural human thing. And I know as a pastor, one of the things I've learned is I know how to make people make decisions. I can get people to somewhat convert, but I can't transform the human soul. I can't do it. I can't cause somebody to be obedient and follow Jesus. I can't do it. I can get somebody to pray a prayer. I can get somebody to raise their hand in a service. I can get somebody to look up at me and let their eyes meet mine. I can do all those things, but I can't transform the human soul. I can't make a disciple. I can't make somebody like Jesus. Only Jesus through his spirit can do that. And sometimes we have to be careful because in our humanity, that's what we try to do. We try to get people to make decisions thinking somehow that we've done what God's called us to do. Jesus never said, go and make decisions. He said, go and make disciples. Whole different category. Now, when I was growing up, I grew up in a Christian home, and I remember as I was growing up, I remember it was like we're supposed to tell people about Jesus, and so I did. And I remember my first convert was in second grade. His name was Shane. And this is how Shane and I, this is our interaction. So we're on the playground one day, and I'm like, okay, I've got to tell him about Jesus. I said, Shane, do you know who Jesus is? He goes, well, yeah, I heard of him. I said, but do you, do you know Jesus personally? Do you follow Jesus? And he's like, well, no. I said, well, do you want to? He's like, well, sure, why not? You know, you're in second grade, really? So I said, okay, well, here's how you do it. I said, close your eyes, and we're going to pray. And I, when I pray, you repeat what I say. And then by the end of that, then you'll be a Christian. He goes, really? That's all you have to do? I'm like, yeah. So he grabs my hands. We're holding hands. We're closing our eyes on the playground. So I lead him through the sinner's prayer. And at the end, I say, all right, Shane, you're a Christian. He goes, I'm a Christian now? I said, yeah. And so we're like all excited and everything. He has no idea what it means. And I remember looking back thinking, yeah, look, at that's like, honestly, that's like a notch on my belt. Like, yeah, there you go. I got one. I got one for the kingdom. There he is. I don't know where Shane is today. And I'm pretty convinced that 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 moment, unless God by his spirit did something supernatural in Shane that I'm completely unaware of, all it was was a few words that he shared on a playground. I got him to make a decision. I've got him to pray a prayer. That's nowhere in the scriptures. Now, can God use that? Absolutely, God can use that. But we're not, God has not called us to make decisions or try to make converts. He's called us to make disciples. And making disciples is a supernatural event that happens in somebody's life. That over time, they become more and more obedient to Jesus, more like Jesus. We can't do that. That's why we have to have the power of the Holy Spirit working through us to transform people's lives, including our own. Second reason why we need the power of the Holy Spirit, because our default is maintenance. Let me explain what I mean. You and I have a default that, that if left to our own devices, we pull back, we maintain, we move towards comfort, we move towards what's easy, and we just try to hang on and maintain. 
That's, that's in our faith. That's kind of the way it works. That's kind of the way the church sometimes overall, instead of being a, we use the term missional church, we become a maintenance church, which is make sure that everybody's comfort, um, comfortable. We have a nice building. We have good programs. Nobody gets offended. The pastor's really nice to everybody. And we all maintain. Just by the way, that's not the church that we are, if you haven't figured that one out yet. But that's the default that we have. In fact, this goes way back, and there's some debate in Acts chapter 1, there's a story. There's some debate if this is something that the church was doing, kind of, or the early believers were doing in their own ability, or this is something that really God ordained. So they get the Great Commission in Acts, or Matthew 28, and then, then Jesus, and we'll talk about in Acts 1.8, he says, wait, I'm going to give you power through the Holy Spirit. So they're in this waiting period. So they haven't really, they know what they're supposed to do, but they're kind of on pause because God's going to give them the power. So what do they do? Really dynamic thing that they do in Acts chapter 1. They realize, let's see, we had 12 apostles. Let's see, Judas took his own life. We've got to have 12. I don't know where they got this up. So we've got to appoint one to replace him. So they hold an election. And in the election, they elect, ready? Matthias. Everybody knows Matthias, right? No, nobody knows Matthias. Because as far as I know, that's the only time his name's ever mentioned in the book of Acts. So they had the 12. That was the sum total of what they did between the Great Commission and the Holy Spirit coming. Now, I don't know if God said, yeah, you do need to have 12. He might have. But what was the default in them? Let's make sure that the structure's good. Let's make sure that we maintain this. Let's make sure that we have 12. So what did they focus on? They focused on doing things right as opposed to doing the right thing. Those are different. And sometimes we have to be careful when the Holy Spirit is not fully active in our lives or in our church. You know what we default to? Doing things right. Doing our services right. Doing our structure right. Doing our programs right. Doing our building right. And we do it all right. But what if we're doing everything right, but we're doing the wrong thing in the process? You know, I've heard this many times from friends who I have outside the U.S., who come in and they look at the U.S. church and we're especially in places where the church has exploded around the world and they've, I, people have made this comment. I've heard a couple people say it. I even saw it quote in a book, but I've heard people say it and they say to us, it's amazing what you guys have been able to accomplish in the church without God. Oof. That's, that hurts. But is it true? Is it true? Have we, have we not allowed the Holy Spirit to be the driving force in our life and what we've really defaulted to is how do we make sure that we do things right? See, the one thing that's true about when the Holy Spirit shows up and God does his work is it's messy. It's not in our planned schedule. It doesn't work just right for our convenience. It always is outside of our normal plan because it's supernatural, because it's God, and he works way, way beyond us, anything that we could ever accomplish. Then there's a third, a third thing, and a third reason why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. It's because we need power beyond our ability. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says to his disciples, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What is he saying? He's saying, you can't do this on your own. You don't have the ability to do this on your own. You need the power of my Spirit in you. So I'm going to give you my Spirit to work in you, to fill you, to empower you, to do things you can't do. Sometimes we forget that. But having that power in us to do what? To be his witnesses. 
Now, we'll talk a little bit about it a, a little bit more in a moment, but I, the reason that we need God's power to go beyond our ability is because so many times our ability is limited by this one thing called fear. And we put God in a box through us. God could accomplish it through us, but because of our fear, we have these great reservations about what we think God can accomplish through us or what we can do. And because of that, we pull back. And when we pull back, we miss out what God is trying to accomplish through our lives. It's his power in us. It's God's ability through us. It's not our ability. And that is, that is a huge relief when it comes to following God and fulfilling his mission in the world. Because if you and I just look at it in our human understanding, it's absolutely impossible. Greg said it earlier. They need God, for, for what's going on with Connect 2, they need God's wisdom to do what God wants them to do. And that means he's got a plan that we have to understand. But that means you and I on a daily basis have to see that even down to some of the simplest activities in life, you and I don't realize it, but we need God's power. See, because so many times this thing called fear is a huge issue for you and I, for many of us, we can't get enough beyond ourselves to actually have a conversation with somebody that we don't know and somebody who doesn't know Jesus. That's hard for us. Now, for some of us, it comes natural. For others, it's like, I'm scared to death. Some of us, the neighborhoods we live in, we're afraid to even talk to our neighbors. We pull into our garage, the garage door goes down, and we're safe. Wow, avoided that one, right? We go out and we walk our dog or we're out in the neighborhood and we might say hi to somebody. We might make eye contact, but boy, we're afraid to talk to them. The coworker that you worked with for the last seven years who you know their name and they know your name, but that's all you know about them. Why? Because we're afraid. We're afraid to talk. We're afraid we'll make a fool of ourselves. We're afraid we'll say something wrong. We're afraid we'll look silly. And so we say nothing. We start no relationship. We don't go deeper than just the surface level. Meanwhile, underneath the surface, the God of the universe has deposited his spirit in us that may, he may be saying, the biggest issue for you right now is you don't have the ability to have a conversation, but I can give you the boldness to do that. You read through the book of Acts, one of the things that you'll see over and over and over again is that many times when the Holy Spirit came, part of the, the, the byproduct of that was this thing called boldness. It says that many times, it says, and the church spoke the word of God more boldly. They weren't afraid anymore. They got over their fear. And for many of us, we need God's power. All of us needs God's power because we're stuck in our own ability. We're afraid. Remember the, when the, the parable of the talents, when, when, when the master gave out the different talents and you know, each got some according to their ability and then two of them came back and doubled what the, the master gave him. And then the third one, what did he do with his? He took it and he buried it. Why? Because he was afraid. See, you and I have the power of God in us through the Holy Spirit. Why should we be afraid? This is on God. It's not on us. All he's waiting for us is to be obedient to be, do what he wants us to do, what he wants us to experience in our lives. What if God is so actively involved in your life that he may actually have you, something for you to say to somebody else around you? He may actually be at work, and all he's waiting for you to do is open your mouth. Steve Schmidt came to me in between services, and he was, many of you know Steve, and he, he was sharing how years ago, he had an encounter with a woman yesterday, Years ago, he, he and somebody else at our church had simply prayed for a woman. Just prayed for her. She'd come through the food pantry years ago, and, and they prayed for her, and she was going through some challenges, and she was needing a home, and she wanted to figure out eventually how she could be reunited with her son. There was all these dynamics, and so he was driving yesterday, and on the side of the road, there was a woman, someone at, uh, begging for money, and this was the woman. And so he rolls the window down, and they have this conversation, come to find out she's about to see the fulfillment of that getting a home, getting reunited with her son. Those things, and she remembered Steve praying for her. 
She remembered Steve reaching out and talking to her. And it took years, but God fulfilled that. God was at work in her life, and she was so blessed and knew that God was at work because the day before she was supposed to move up to Seattle with her son, she runs into Steve. Now, Steve had no idea years ago when he was praying for her that any of this would happen, but he believed that God would do something, so he obediently did that, and the result was God worked in this woman's life and has drawn her towards him. You don't know the conversations that you need to have. You don't know the people that you might be to pray. Some of us are like, oh, really pray for somebody? If God puts it on your heart, you know what? I've, I've rarely in my life, when I've had those opportunities of boldness, and asked somebody if I, I could pray for them, I've never had somebody say no. Haven't. Most people say, yeah, you know what? I, I know I, I got some stuff in my life. Could you just pray for me? And if they don't, oh well, but the fact that you offered may do something in them because God's spirit is at work in each one of us. So now how, do we, how does the Spirit empower us in our daily lives? Let's go to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to just read some verses because you and I need to see that the complete transformation in, in the original followers of Jesus. So let's go back to the disciples, the, the first the, the followers of Jesus, the ones that were with him. They lived, they lived with him day in and day out for three years. They watched him live. They watched him do miracles. They listened to his teaching. They were with him all the time. But then they also saw him die. But then something happens in this group of people that transforms their lives in such, such a way that they're completely different. And there's two particular events that I think are the key to life transformation. It was true for the disciples. It's true for us. The first one was the resurrection. They watched Jesus die, and then they saw him rise to, to life. They saw him alive again. The second thing was what happens in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes, and the power of God comes on these people, and the transformation is incredible. So let me read verse 1 to verse 4 in Acts 2. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, so they were waiting, waiting for God to send His Spirit. It says, They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Which, by the way, in a few weeks we'll talk about gifts of the Spirit that He gives. But this, this amazing thing happens. The Holy Spirit shows up. This is not an everyday occurrence. You know, fire comes in the room, separates. People start speaking languages they don't understand. This is, wow, this is out there. It's like the power of God showing up. And it wasn't just like mass chaos, because you have to understand, if we read on the passage, what people were speaking in was languages they didn't understand, but there were people there who understood the languages they were speaking. And it says, we are hearing the praises of God in our own language. This is amazing. God's doing this incredible thing, which, by the way, at the Tower of Babel, God uses language to divide. In Acts chapter 2, God uses language to unite for the purpose of the church. It's beautiful. God knows what he's doing. So this unfolds. And what happens to Jesus' followers? Let's take Peter. Peter's a perfect example. Remember Peter. Peter was the most zealous, the most passionate of the disciples. He was always opening his mouth and quickly inserting his foot into it. We know that over and over and over again. And the pinnacle of that is when, you know, Jesus says, Peter, you're, you're going to deny me. And he said, no, 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 I'll never deny you. I'll never deny you. And then you read through the Gospels and you get to when Jesus goes on trial. And what does Peter do? Three times he denies Jesus. He turns his back on Jesus. That means that it's one of the, the, the worst failures recorded in Scripture. Poor Peter. He gets his worst moment and recorded in Scripture. But what happens to Peter? This guy who keeps putting his foot in his mouth, this guy who couldn't even stick with Jesus all the way through to the end, who turns his back on Jesus, he witnesses the resurrection and he experiences the power of the Holy Spirit. What happens in the rest of Acts chapter 2? Peter, 
who has trouble speaking and speaking the truth, what happens? He stands up and gives one of the most powerful messages in all of Scripture, and the result, 3,000 people come to Christ and are baptized. That's Peter. This is a guy just a few chapters earlier who's denying Jesus and almost cursing, saying, no, I don't know him, I don't know him. And then he's standing up and saying, oh yeah, I know him, and he's transformed my life. And what you're experiencing is the power of God. This is what the prophet Joel talked about thousands of years ago. It's happening now, and 3,000 people follow Jesus. Is that a Peter thing? No, that's a God thing. That's the transformation of the Holy Spirit in Peter's life to give him the boldness to speak the truth of God so that people turn to Jesus. Now, there's a pattern, and not, not a, it's not a hard and fast pattern, which, by the way, sometimes you and I looked in scriptures for formulas, like, okay, God did it this way, so we have to do that way. God does things a bunch of different ways because he knew that we would get married to the formula and we'd forget about him. But there's some, some patterns, in, in particularly in the book of Acts, which seem to indicate something of the way God uses his power. So many times what you'll see is you'll see this demonstration of God's power followed by the proclamation of the gospel. This miraculous thing happens, or someone is freed from a demon, and then the result is a conversation or an instruction, and the result after that is people's lives are changed. People turn to Jesus. You see it in Acts 2, which is talked about. You see it in Acts 3, when Peter and John come to a place of prayer, and there's a guy begging for money who can't walk. Peter says, hey, I don't have cash, but I, what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. And boom, the guy gets up and he walks. And then what's the result? They share the gospel. People are like, well, wait, we know this guy. He couldn't walk. Now he can walk. What happened? And more people respond to Jesus. Acts chapter 5, same thing. People are getting healed, and the religious leaders don't like it. So they take the apostles, they put them in jail, they arrest them. And then an angel comes miraculously and sets them free. Now, if that happened to you, like, okay, I'm out testifying about Jesus. I'm telling people about Jesus. They don't like it. I get arrested, and then God, by his grace, sends an angel to open my cell. What do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to go home and hide, right? I learned my lesson. No, what's the next thing they do? They walk right back out to where they were before, and they start telling people about Jesus. And news gets back, hey, those guys you locked up, they're not locked up anymore, and they won't shut up. Why? Because the power of God showed up, and now there's this testimony of who Jesus is. It happens in Acts chapter 16. Paul, because... He sees what's going on, sees that there's a girl who can tell somebody's fortune because she's possessed by a demon, cast the demon out of her, and then Paul and Silas get arrested. They get thrown into jail, and then an earthquake hits the prison. All the doors open, and the result is that gets the jailer's attention, and then Paul begins to talk to the jailer, and him and his whole family come to Jesus. You see this pattern. God's power showing up. God transforming people. God getting their attention. It's something that you and I have to understand. If we're going to accomplish the mission that Jesus has called every one of us to, it can only be accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit through our lives. It can't be something that you and I try to accomplish on our own. So how does the Holy Spirit empower us? Three things. The first one is the, the Holy Spirit empowers us through the supernatural. That means that God does work like he did then. He does work through powerful means in our lives. He does do miracles. He does set people free from demonic influence and oppression in their life. He does things that many of us, if we're, if we're just going to be honest, we have either experienced once or seen here or there or heard of, but maybe we just don't see it all the time. And that's why you might say, hey, well, from a cessationist view, I could argue the point, I don't see miracles. But there's something interesting. If you travel or if you read and you get yourself exposed to the bigger body of Christ around the globe, you will see a different experience outside the United States than what we experience. And I've seen it, and I've heard about it, and I've read about it as well, because understanding that there's a different dynamic, like a place like Haiti, or a place in, like Africa, or even in China. Places where they don't have freedoms like we do, they don't have money like we do, and they don't have comfort like we do. 
But who do they have? They have Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit to work in their life. And so there's this, there's something, if we were to be honest, we're like, yeah, you know, I, I, I just don't seem to see it. And I, and I can't give you an exact explanation of why we don't see the miraculous like maybe other places in the world see the miraculous. I could probably take a guess that it has to do that maybe we don't need God as much as the rest of the world does because we have our money and we have our comfort and we have our freedom. And because of that, we don't have need desperate need like the rest of the world does. Remember, we represent, in the the terms of the level of life that we live out economically, represents about 5% of the world population. Most of the world lives lower economically than we do. They have higher needs than we do. Well, we all have needs, but the rest of the world are more obvious. So let me just give you a a few examples. In our own movement in Foursquare, there's a couple different people. One, his name is Leslie Kegel, who is in Sri Lanka, and he's seen miraculous happen through him all the time constantly seeing miracles. He's seeing people freed from demons. There's another guy named Ted Albrecht who oversees Foursquare in Cambodia. Ted's testimony is amazing. Here, and this is what's so beautiful about it, because I I want you to understand, because I know, depending on your background, when we talk about the miraculous, sometimes our default is really more of an abuse than the real thing. For example, when people in our world, we say, okay, let's talk about miracles. You You mean the televangelist that tries to raise money by doing miracles on TV? That's most of the people in our culture will think that way. And so when we think of miracles, we think of a phony. We think of someone who's trying to manipulate people, who, who makes it look like there's a miracle, but when, the, you know, when you come in and you do the hard research, maybe there wasn't a miracle, and they just used it to get people to give more money. And so there's all these abuses, and so we lose that in that. Because what happens is when somebody's attempting to see the power of God in their life, money's never attached to it. You notice that? If you read through the book of Acts, there's an encounter where, one, where a sorcerer sees that the apostles have a power that he doesn't have, and he basically says, how much money can I give you for it? If you just give it to me, and Paul says, boy, you've missed the boat. You don't get this. You don't see this. Because it wasn't tied to money. And the reason I say that is if someone like a Ted Albrook, perfect example, he went to Cambodia as a missionary, to try to help reach Cambodians to follow Jesus. The result was he responds to the immediate need, which was just like Haiti in Cambodia, there's a lot of orphans. So he starts an orphanage. And then he starts a second orphanage. And then a third orphanage. And today there's between 150 to 200 orphanages in Cambodia run by Foursquare to care for the needs of people. But at the same time, he's praying for people. And people who can't walk are walking. And people who can't see are seeing and people who have been oppressed by demonic influence are being set free all at the same time. There's another person, and with different people in the body of Christ, different people even within Pentecostal, I don't necessarily agree with every point of their theology, but I see the power of God. Another person, her name is Heidi Baker. And Heidi Baker and her husband would come from more of a traditional, extreme Pentecostal background. But one of the things that I've appreciated about watching Heidi Baker's life is that she hasn't gone the way of televangelist. She's gone the way of Jesus. Her and her husband wanted to see God move. They wanted to reach people, and they knew that the way they were going to do that is to be among the poor. So they made a choice, and they moved to Mozambique. And at the time when they moved, Mozambique was the poorest country on the face of the earth. And they didn't go in and live up on a hill in a nice house and then go help the poor people in Mozambique. They went and lived among the poor. Both of them have suffered greatly physically. They've both gotten diseases, but they live amongst the poor. They live amongst the orphans. They care for people. And now there's been documented healings as they've prayed for people. They have seen people who can see now, who can walk now. In fact, there's a documented case of a doctor 
who confirmed this, that there was a man who died. Now, I don't know. I'm not God. I don't know if his spirit left his body, but he flatlined. He had no pulse. He was confirmed dead, pronounced dead, and they prayed for him, and he came back to life. And a doctor verified that. Wow. That's a God thing. That's the power of God. And by the way, that did get a few people's attention when there was a dead guy who now is walking around. We thought you were dead. You know, remember Jesus did that? Kind of gets people's attention. It's the power of God. Now, does that mean that because we live in the country, God can't do that? God can do anything he wants to do. And maybe it's because our agenda has gotten in the way of his. Maybe because we're trying to do things right and he wants us to do the right thing, that maybe we haven't experienced all that he wants us to experience in our life, in our world. Second thing of how the Holy Spirit empowers us is the Spirit empowers us through the natural as well. So when Jesus comes on the scene in Luke chapter 4, and he comes into the synagogue in Nazareth, and he picks up the, the, the reading for that day, which happens to be Isaiah 61. Let me, this is what it says in, in the, the quoting of that in Luke 4, verses 18 and 19, when Jesus reads that. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So when Jesus is reading this, this, and he says, this is fulfilled in your hearing. This is happening to me. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. God's Spirit is on me. So you need to, and I need to understand, Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. But in his humanity, he lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. At his baptism, the Holy Spirit came down on him, just as you and I are human beings. Because someone says, ah, that was Jesus. Jesus was God. Jesus could do anything. But he also chose to be fully human. And fully human in the human experience. Which means that you and I could live a life like Jesus lived under the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, you will do greater things than I've done. Why? Because the same Spirit that was in Jesus is the same Spirit that's in us today. No difference. It's the way that we respond to him. But what Jesus reads this, it's important because he's talking about both the natural and the supernatural. He's talking about recovery of sight for the blind, but he's always also talking about good news for the poor. What's good news for the poor? Good news for the poor might be that Jesus loves you and died for your sins and wants you to be reconciled to go back to God through him. That's good news. But you know what's better news to someone who's poor? If they're hungry, it's to feed them. If they're homeless, it's to house them. If they don't have clothes, it's to clothe them. That's good news. Many people can't get to the good news of Jesus because there's too much bad news in front of them. That's why Jesus always cared for the poor. And the reason that I highlight that and it's so important is because there is the supernatural dynamic of God's presence through his spirit in our lives. But that doesn't mean that we divorce ourselves from the human need around us that God also works through by the power of his Holy Spirit to transform people. And if we were to, to see that, it takes as much of the Holy Spirit working in you and I to care for the poor than it does to perform a miracle. Because both of them are miraculous. Both of them are miraculous. To, to help the poor is a miraculous, overwhelming task that seems impossible. Now, they, they, they left because they had to head out, but if I pulled Greg and Puis back up here, they are two guys, and I watched their lives, who are living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, accomplishing God's mission in Haiti, who overcome fear, who care for the needs of the poor, in an amazing way. I mean, to watch those guys, when we were there, we went with them into a place called City Soleil, which is one of the da- most dangerous places, one of the most dangerous cities in the world. The UN doesn't even hardly go in there anymore because they lost a gun battle with the gang members there. But Greg and Poise go in there, and God has given them favor with the gang members there because they have went in to care for people. 
They've brought in food. They brought in diapers for babies. They've partnered with churches in the area. And I remember when we went in there, we were getting some strange looks. But if we were with Greg and Poise, they knew that we were okay. How did they get to that point? How did it? Because they cared for the poor and God gave them favor. Those are supernatural things that those guys are doing. They are filled with his spirit. That's the only way that they can do that. That's why you and I have to understand God will use us where we're at. You can't say, well, if God doesn't do a miracle through me, he's not using me. Oh, yes, he is. He used Steve Schmidt to pray for a woman who was homeless, and God answered that prayer to transform her life. It wasn't like she was blind or she couldn't walk. She just needed a home. She needed God to move on her behalf, and he did. And then thirdly, the third and final thing of how the Spirit empowers us is that the Spirit empowers us through, this is the hard one, selflessness. God always hits up against our ego and our pride and our selfish nature. He always does. That's the battle. That's the tension. Really, the biggest battle is not against the devil. The biggest battle is against ourselves. It really is. We battle in ourselves, but something about God's Spirit filling us to the point where we are transformed means that we're no longer filled with ourselves. We're filled with His Spirit. And there's a transforming power that comes in us. It's the same thing that happened in Paul. Paul is a great representation. The Apostle Paul represents so well a lot of our journeys that maybe we don't even understand. If you go back in his history, and he talks about it multiple times through some of his epistles and and, and even in the book of Acts, but you go back in his history, this guy was the master at doing things right. He was the most religious man on the face of the earth. He was the ultimate Pharisee. He was zealous in everything that he did. He lived according to the law. He was the perfect Jew. He says that. He had all of that. He mastered in doing things right, and yet his life wasn't what it was supposed to be until he encounters Jesus. And he surrenders his life to Jesus, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what happens to Paul? He says, all that stuff, all the things that I accomplished, all the religiosity in my life, all the morality, all the things that I accomplished all on my own, I throw it away. It's rubbish. Because now my life's no longer about myself. It's about Jesus. It's not about my agenda, what I want to accomplish. It's what he wants to accomplish. In fact, he says this in Acts chapter 20, verses 23 and 24, when he's talking to his friends in Ephesus before he leaves them. He says, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Wait a second. This is a Pharisee. This is a guy who's religious. This is a guy who's justifying himself. And now he's saying, the only thing that matters in my life is not my agenda, not my righteousness, not my religiousness, but it's the gospel. It's what Jesus wants to do. Now, you and I need to understand, because the default that we have is, well, that was Paul. He was an apostle. He was called to do that. If you said yes to Jesus, we're all called to be missionaries, aren't we? You've heard that a lot lot in the last two months. This is the call for all of us. This is what we need. All of us need the power of the Holy Spirit living in our lives. And if we're able to grasp that, then you and I will be able to overcome the greatest human barrier to following Jesus. And it's this thing called fear. I'm convinced in my experience, fear is the greatest inhibitor of the mission of God through the church. It's not the enemy. It may be the enemy's influence, but we are afraid. 
We are afraid to risk. We are afraid to live selflessly. We're afraid that God really doesn't get it. When Jesus says to find life, I have to lose it. We really don't believe him. So we hang on to life with everything that we have. And because of that, we're miserable. And yet we still don't buy it. We still will modify it. We'll give up a little bit here and there. But man, I'm not giving it all because I got to hold back some. For who? For myself. But what if Jesus was right? What if the power of the Holy Spirit coming in us fills us so full that all the stuff that doesn't belong in our life gets out so that what's left is living my life for God, living my life for Jesus and his purpose, something greater than anything I could ever come up with? What if that was true? What if in everything that we did, although we may have different careers and vocations and go to different schools and live in different neighborhoods, our first and primary mode of of understanding our world and our life is I am a missionary till the day I die. And I am because God's power lives in me by a spirit that transforms me and has the power to transform people around me. What if that were true? We actually might start seeing stuff that maybe we haven't seen before in our lives. Maybe we'll start seeing the power of God break through in our lives because, what, God wants to transform people in Simi Valley. God wants to wake up sleepy, comfortable, safe Simi Valley to a bigger purpose. He wants to wake up new hope to that reality as well. But remember, as we embrace God, he will make it messy. He will make it outside our comfort zone. He will call us to be bold, and he will call us to do things that we didn't think we could do. That's the evidence that it's him doing it, not us. I don't know where you're at today, but I I am pretty convinced that somewhere down the line, you have backed off in one or two areas of your life because you were afraid. That maybe on a Sunday morning, or maybe you're reading or or listening to a podcast or something, or you're reading scripture, and something comes alive, and you're like, yes, I need to take the step. And then when you go to take the step, fear comes in and says, no, 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 you really shouldn't do that. That's reckless. You're not thinking about your kids. You're not thinking about your future. You're not thinking about your 401. You're not thinking about your career. Why would you do that? That's not something you would do. Does that ever come from God? No. It comes from ourselves. It comes from the enemy. God is calling us beyond ourselves. But the beautiful thing is, he says, I know you can't do it, but I'm going to give you my spirit who has the power to accomplish what you can't on your own. Let me close with this, and we're going to pray together. All of us are candidates to be filled with the Spirit. My own experience in being filled with the Holy Spirit, I had a moment where I gave my life to Jesus, but there was a second moment in my life where I knew that the Holy Spirit had fully gotten a hold of me. But I know in each one of our lives, there are people who don't understand that. There are people who've contended for God's Spirit to fill them. But Paul makes it pretty clear that, that there is an active filling of the Spirit all the time. It, was, it isn't like we get one filling that's got to last us our whole life. It's, it's a daily occurrence of God's Spirit filling me and emptying me of all the stuff that doesn't belong so that I can follow His mission in my life. So let me just highlight a couple things of being filled with the Spirit, things that are really kind of some prerequisites. If you want to experience the fullness of the Spirit, you have to be hungry. You have to desire that his power work in your life. You have to be desperate enough that I want my walk with Jesus to be powerful and intimate. I want to know him fully, like Paul says. I want to know everything about him. I want to know about his death, his resurrection, somehow to be able to attain to all that in my life. I want everything. And so because of that, I don't hold back. Another thing that's true of people who want the filling of the Holy Spirit is that you and I need to be absolutely humble which means I don't have anything to offer apart from God's work in my life. I can't do this. Even if I become, I'm a Pentecostal because I go to a Pentecostal church, I have no pride in that because I don't have any more of the Spirit than anybody else does. But I know I need God's Spirit in my life. I need His power to show up in my life. And because of that, I accurately look at my life and realize, okay, I'm not all that I've made myself up to be. 
and I let my ego and my pride come down. And then the third thing that's true, and this is part of it, this is what they got in that, that 120 that were in that upper room when the Holy Spirit came, is that you and I have to understand God's mission. A heart to fulfill God's mission that takes you beyond your own ability. So many times in the church, we want the evidence of the Holy Spirit, but we don't want the mission of God. They have to come together. We want the experience of the Holy Spirit in a Sunday morning gathering or in a prayer gathering, but we don't want to step outside that gathering and live out God's mission. Brad Briscoe said it and said it really well about three weeks ago. He said the primary activity of God, not the only activity, the primary activity of God is not in the church. The primary activity of God is where? In the world. That's where the Holy Spirit empowers us beyond ourselves. That means we have to step out. That means for some of us, it's walking across the street to our neighbor, or it's reaching across the cubicle to our coworker, or it's going to a community group and stepping into a laundromat, or it's going down to the Dream Center, or for some of us, it's traveling to Brazil, or it's traveling to Haiti. Wherever your barrier is, as far as your fear, God's saying, by my spirit, you can break through it. But you've got to surrender. I'm going to ask you if you would, would you stand right now? We're going to conclude in a moment, but I want to pray. And we don't do that, do this that often, but I thought it was appropriate for us to, to do this today together. I'm going to ask you if you would grab the hand of the person next to you. It means you're going to have to kind of bridge the aisles and make sure that everybody, you got somebody's hand that you grab them, make up for the gaps in the seats there. We've made sure that this is a cootie-free zone, so you're safe when you hold someone's hand. I don't know about flu. That's a different thing. But I want us to do that because whether we know it or not, whether we can really even acknowledge it or not, all of us need God's power through his spirit to work in our lives if we've said yes to Jesus. Because he's calling us to a life that's greater than ourselves. And that means it has to be his power. So I'm going to pray for God to fill us with his spirit as we get ready to conclude. Lord Jesus, you see us standing with our hands together. Lord, knowing that, that as the church, as your church, We know in order to accomplish your purpose, your mission, to to see reconciliation, to make disciples, and even to worship you, Lord, these are things that we know in and of our humanity and ourselves, we cannot do them. But we are so grateful to know that you said you would send another comforter. You would send someone just like you. You would send your spirit into us to empower us to accomplish all you've called us to do. So, Lord, we know through the power of your Holy Spirit... People can become disciples. People can obey you. People can see. People can walk. People can be raised from the dead. Lives can be transformed. People can be saved. Your kingdom can advance. The church can grow. All because you work through your people. So Lord, right now we are open. We are hungry. We are humble. We are committed to your mission. And I pray, Lord, as we now ask for your spirit to come and fill us, that, Lord, we know the evidence of that is what happens when we walk out the door Lord, the moments where we're, we're, you're, you're nudging us by your spirit to begin a conversation, to pray with somebody, to reach out, to care for the poor, whatever it is, Lord, that we would not pull back, but we would advance. We would advance where your spirit is leading us. Why? Because it's not our ability. It's your power through us because your spirit lives inside of us. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us your Holy Spirit. Now let us live out what it means to truly be Pentecostal, to truly be filled with your spirit as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen.